The following is a presentation of the Belly Up Sports Media Network. What is up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to episode number 212 of the Pesky Report. I'm Brandon Brewer, and joining me today, we have Ed Hand, Brad Chandler, and the bad boy of Red Sox Twitter, Hogdale. Guys, what's going on? What up, what up? Happy to be back. Happy to be back. That's right. This is uh, the, I guess, the first official Pesky Report of the 2023 baseball season. I know we've been doing a lot of episodes throughout the off season with uh, the, the men of tomorrow and just our random shenanigans episodes. But this is the first episode back that we actually have baseball on the field content to talk about. Um, and of course we've got the bad boy of Red Sox Twitter with us, Hogdale. That's going to, to, to let us know some of his thoughts and feelings about the state of Red Sox nation. And I'm definitely looking forward to that as well. The state, uh, the absolute state. <laughs> Well, I mean, the absolute state right now is that the Red Sox are undefeated in 2023. How about that? For, for, for everything that this Red Sox team has heard about being underperformers, about being a garbage last place team, since the calendar turned to 2023, they are undefeated. Yeah, unbeaten, uh, two-game unbeaten streak. You know, uh, let, let the, uh, the the record show that, Heim Bloom haters. It's three games if you count that. Oh, uh, you're right. Northeastern game. <laughs> the Northeastern. You know, fucking fuck a college team, bro. Like, are you kidding me? But these kids can't handle it. They can't. <laughs> shouldn't have even showed up. <laughs> Did you guys oh see uh, the clip that was going around of the Northeastern players that were just like, they were awestruck to just be playing against the Boston Red Sox? And like, they was showing, it was panning through their, their, uh, dugout and all of them were just like slack jawed not saying anything just watching the game that's kind of how i felt watching baseball again i was like oh it's back i think I, I don't know if it was more like awestruck or it was more like they were just super tired because they got in at five o'clock in the morning fair point very <laughs> fair point northeasterns they're like man they could have gotten bc but no they chose us man it's, this is so cool like we gotta play the socks <laughs> That's a very fair point. I forgot that they mentioned that during the broadcast that uh, Northeastern arrived at 5 a.m. and then had the game start at 1 p.m. So, like, even the starting pitcher who, you know, colleges, they don't send their starting pitchers ahead of the rest of the team so they get proper rest. He was trying to sleep on the plane and all this stuff, and then he got shelled in the first inning. And it's like, oh, yeah, no wonder. <laughs> he's He's half asleep still. I think he had like a 135 ERA, like not a 1.35. I think it was 135 ERA. Ouch. <laughs> yeah, those short sample sizes are brutal, huh? I'll pull that up. That's terrible. Uh, while, while Brad's looking that up, and I'm sure he'll get back to us shortly, um, you know, the we talked about the Red Sox being undefeated, but the Red Sox nation – has a has a far worse record this offseason for coming up with a lot of things. They've taken a lot of L's all over the place. And I know Hogdale's going to get into a lot of that later on. He's he said that he's got some stuff that he wants to get off his chest. But I do want to focus on some of the positives before we get into all of that. Brad, go ahead. Uh, yeah, so he has a 135 ERA. All right, 135 ERA. Luckily, that was just an exhibition game, and it doesn't actually count on his college stats, nor will it count on any of his professional stats if he makes it to that point in his career. So Jake that Quinn, game... Quinn James Quinlevin. Yeah, that's a game that he would rather soon forget. Um, <laughs> let's, let's focus on some of the positives that we've seen in the past few days. First off, Chris Sale throwing from the mound... Looks good, but most importantly, says that he felt good after throwing. 
guys, what kind of impact do we think that Chris Sale could have on this rotation if he's able to have at least a prolonged stint of healthiness? Well, first off, I got to say that uh, I commend Chris Sale on being able to walk from the bench to the mound in the first place without falling and breaking his wrist. So really, that was the first big win when I knew that things were really turning around for the 2023 Boston Red Sox. The vibes are completely different. And that's that's the first sign of it. But his impact could be huge. I mean, even if he never gets back to peak Chris Sale, one of the three best pitchers in the league, if he's Chris Sale from when he uh, last came back, you know, dude, like right around a three ERA, you know, he could still hit about 98 on the gun. That's a more than valuable member of this pitching staff. And he could be invaluable, especially for this team that is just desperately needs an ace to step up. Yeah, he doesn't have to be that Chris Sale from 2017, 2018 either. He just has to lead the rotation. Um you know, I think that the, I saw an article the other day that was referring to Nathan Ivaldi as an ace, which was like, um, you know, he might have been a number one starter in 2021. I wouldn't really consider him an ace. That's as a long as, ace. Yeah, yeah, as long as Sale can just go out there, give you five, six good innings every night. You know, like that's Nathan, that's all you're not really an ace, Ivaldi. No, he was never an ace. But he was a good pitcher, just not an ace. Like, not every number one starter is going to be an ace. And what makes that more egregious is the fact that he plays for the Rangers now, and they do have a true ace. So referring to Nate as an ace on that staff is is terrible. Their ace is Martin Perez. (laughs) Exactly. God, don't fucking remind me. (laughs) (laughs) Brad, what what do you think about uh, uh, Sale and his potential impact for this season? And – uh, what what do you feel about the news that we were hearing that he's looking good and feeling good on the mound right now? I honestly don't have an opinion until we see him actually pitch uh, pitch in a game. Okay. I I, and- I I feel like he he's been surrounded by like black clouds for the past couple of years that like we need to get him through like I want to say at least a month a month of baseball before we start making an opinion you know because. You never know what happened the last time he was out on the mound and Stanton hit a ball right back at him and it broke his pinky. And then like a week or two later, he falls off his bike. I mean, I, I, I just want to wait. I don't want to, I, mean, I don't want to say anything. Um, have, I don't want to have an opinion yet. You know, I want to see, I don't want to hear, you know, the, the good news with that is, you know, those two injuries were unrelated to anything to do with his Tommy John surgery. So right. that's just giving him, giving him much longer to recover from the Tommy John surgery. And hopefully that's allowed that to heal. Uh, and he's, he's going to come back and that elbow will be fine. Uh, I think it's a good, good sign that he feels good. Yeah. If he's out there and he's hitting 95, 96 with his fastball and his, his, uh, his slider has that bite that we've all come to know and love, then that's great. But feeling good the next day and the day after is what really matters to me. Can, can we start calling his slider the Brandon Walter slider? <laughs> oh, a lot of comparisons between that, huh? Uh, it seems like I'm not, I'm not going to deny that it, it's definitely not. It, I'm not going to deny that there's something there. Like they're both lefties. They both throw sliders. They're both nasty. But it's like every every quote tweet that I got today uh, on that Brandon Walters uh, slider um, video that I posted, it was literally, it doesn't he remind you of Chris Sale? Oh, he looks like Chris Sale. Oh, welcome to the 2023 Red Sox, Chris. I mean, Brandon Walters? And it's like, yeah, we get it. We get it. So I figured it's uh, it's time to give Walters the, uh, the credit he's due. It's now his slider. And sales just emulating. Uh, right. Speaking speaking of those videos, Brad, you've been absolutely knocking it out of the park so far this uh, spring training, capturing these these videos and getting them out there before anyone else has them on Twitter. So well done, sir. Good job uh, to you for for getting those up and and out there. Yep. Pat yourself on the back. Um. Yeah. I I I'm excited for Chris Sale. Honestly, I think that if he's able to stay somewhat healthy and uh, be in the clubhouse this year, as opposed to last year, not even being with the team the majority of the time. I think 
just his presence alone will will make a huge impact. And it does certainly seem like Heim Bloom and the rest of the front office have have taken notice that that slider is pretty wipeout, and they've added they've Penny making her uh, uh, her presence felt her presence yeah. known her her her. Almost uh, automatic every episode appears. <laughs> no, I said shut the fuck up. So, ah! yeah. Penny's just asserting dominance, man. Like she just knows, like fucking, you know, first first pot over here. Oh my god, who doesn't love Penny, man? Penny's the best. Yeah, she, she's she's the star of the show for real. Um, so aside from Chris Sale, let's move on a little bit. What players are standing out to you guys in spring training? I know it's small sample size. We've only seen them play two actual games and an exhibition game. But what players are standing out to you guys the most? Brad, go ahead and I, I think off. I'm going to uh, make Ed Jez's pants uh, going with a couple of these. I'm going with uh, some of the minor league guys. Um, Walters today, fucking phenomenal. He looks so good. Uh, Rio Gomez, he he's had a couple appearances so far. He got... Uh, he got banged up real quick. Um, someone knocked a homer off of him, but either way, he still looked good. Murphy, uh, he looked good as well. I mean, we could go with the we can go with the low hanging fruit and say Yoshi and stuff like that. But being able to like talk to these guys on on our show and then seeing what they are capable of doing. It's just a, a different, different feeling. Different. It, it gives you a different uh, look at the game. I agree with that. Like seeing guys like Eli Marrero getting a shot out there and being like, "Oh, hey, that guy follows me on Twitter." Like that—that's a pretty cool feeling to 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 have and to be able to talk to you guys that we've all you know interacted with these guys all off season. It's really cool that we're like, "Oh yeah," it's it's like we're watching our buddies play ball at this point. Exactly. Ed. Yeah. I mean, Walter was especially impressive today. He right. was just blowing guys away. And, you know, he got hurt. And I think he would have been on the 40 man before the end of the season if he hadn't. But that back, those back, uh, that back disc issue he was having didn't heal overnight. It took from June until like, uh, like, uh, December for him to be fully healed, but you can kind of tell he's he's looking good. So he was he was exceptionally impressive. Matthew Lugo, though, um, you know, five RBI, double game tying, uh, bases loaded, uh, double game tying, uh, two run triple, and his defense didn't look half bad either. Um, so Lugo's one. He actually got a non roster invite sort of at the last second, which was. Kind of impressive considering he has not played. He's played three games at Double A. That's it. He called up very end of the season, three games. But um, he's he's someone that's interesting and um, who improved quite a bit last season. Um, I mean, we got Bobby. D. We saw spring Bobby D. We saw some spring Fitzy with uh, you know the walk off hit for Fitzy today, and then uh, Bobby had a double and a home run. Uh, Rymel Tapia had a pair of opposite field doubles yesterday too, which was pretty cool. Um, try to think if there's anybody else that really stood oh, out that we haven't mentioned. Verdugo got, looked good too, Hits. I I I, I have Plus one that weight. nobody nobody mentioned. Uh the pitch clock. Oh hell yeah. Let's fucking go. We'll let's we'll get go. into that. We'll get into that. Let's we'll get let's to a off on that for now though. Yeah. Uh, Hogdale, it, what players have impressed you so far this spring? Uh, one guy that well, obviously like a Yoshida, I, I really just like his approach, just his swing. I love everything about him. I'm just so excited to see him like in the regular season and going forward, you know, shut some dudes up because he, he looks legit. I, I really like him on the earliest of early returns. Uh, one guy that uh, I liked uh, on the offensive end, especially a dude that I've been uh, parading half as a joke and half seriously for a little while now is Emmanuel Valdez. And Manuel Valdez Hyde rise up. This man, this kid can hit. He can rake. And as to I said on uh, a guy on Twitter, I said, uh, you know, this kid can rake. Uh, defense is for nerds. Who cares? <laughs> okay, get him in the lineup. He can hit. No one gives a fuck. Magic oh, dude, that play at second yesterday pissed me off. It, was it, it wasn't even. It wasn't even a real game. It was just it was a training game. It was terrible. But you know, fuck defense. You know, we we're, we're not here for the defense. <laughs> Hogdale so, does not like the D. 
So uh, to that point, Hogdale, I think uh, Christian Vasquez has been one of the standout stars for the Boston Red Sox this spring because yes. both players that have uh, that we got in return have have been re- very good. Emmanuel Valdez and uh, Abreu have both had pretty really solid springs. Uh, so yeah, thank you, Christian Vasquez. All for half a season of Christian Vasquez. Thanks, Houston. Yeah. Uh, Ed, you mentioned it. The king of spring is back. Bobby Dahlback. Uh, man, something about spring training, Florida baseball, that dude just explodes. Maybe it's just against minor league pitching that he does better. I don't know. One or the other. But I, I, You know, with Bobby, and I was talking to somebody about this yesterday. We've seen him hit major league pitching. We've seen him go on runs at the major league level. That's true. You know, he was great in 2020. He had that awesome second half in 2021 that made people think, okay, 2022 breakout Bobby year. I don't know. Maybe maybe with less pressure on him, with Cassis being up and, you know, he doesn't have to protect his starting role. Maybe we see a new Bobby. Maybe we see that post-hype sleeper Bobby Dalbeck. See, people kind of are giving up on Bobby a bit too quickly because a lot of people forget over his first 162-game sample, he had an OPS above 800. Like, this dude, he can hit Major League Pitching. We've seen it happen. It's just, uh, last year was just such a disaster. And hopefully, like you said, maybe the you know the expectations being lowered a bit and uh, the eyes being taken off him could help. I think that's why I was, I was kind of okay with maybe having Bobby D as the DH going into the season. If, if, you know, obviously Justin Turner came, come along and that kind of pushed that back. But I think Bobby D, if he's allowed to just focus on hitting, he could be a different type player. He could be more valuable in that sense. Uh, Instead of having him worry about, taking grounders and and playing different spots around the infield and the pressure of, Oh, Cassis is coming up right behind you. You better perform or you're going to be trade bait or something. If he's able to just focus on one skill and that skill is hitting a baseball, I think he could be a different type player. Did you guys uh, see the, uh, the article that Ian, um, Ian Brown wrote about Bobby Dobek and what he did this off season? No, I missed that. uh, I had posted it on my on my personal account, and uh, it looks as though like he he's been doing some reading and he's been doing some studying on uh, a big hitter, not an MLB. uh, A Shada Shada Ru, oh, he was Shada Hero, oh, yeah. So he's he's hit like eight hundred and something home runs. He's a Japanese Babe Ruth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Well, Babe Ruth's the American hen. So, um, yeah, he, he had 868 homers in Japan. And uh, Dahlbeck was like, I studied a lot of O uh, stuff and kind of read his book and tried to pick his brain, hypothetically, uh, pick his words out and just find things that work for me. And so one of the things that he talks about in this article with Ian Brown is um, – he his approach. If you notice, both of his hits were opposite opposite field hits. Yep, he, he had a double pulling, and a home run. Right, they were both oppos, and so that's what he's trying to work on. He's trying to stay on the ball. He's trying to not pull it nearly as much. Because if you remember, I, I don't know if you guys follow Lou Maloney, but there was a lot of like joking about Bobby, where like, all right, he's gonna swing foul to the right. Foul to the right, foul to the right, foul to the right, and now out. You know, that was him last year. So as long as he can stay with the ball and he's hitting it to the opposite field, I think he'll be good. It does – I know it's a small sample size. I also know it's only spring training, and we know how Bobby can be during spring training. But if he can hit it the opposite field, I think he'll be good. And he'll be good trade bait. And the Red Sox just lost a a designated hitter that was well-known for being able to spray the ball all over the field. And he was very good at staying back and going opposite field. Yeah, and he sucked last year. He did suck last year. So maybe Bobby was trying to learn a little bit from him last year, and that's why he sucked. Who knows? Something something to remember with J.D. Martinez also. He was kind of a late bloomer, too. He got – wasn't he released oh, yeah. you know, put on waivers or something? Yeah, he was. He was, he was released by Houston. Yeah, the Astros yeah. gave up on him. Yeah, they just gave up on him. And I 
I, I can kind of, I'm not going to say he's going to be the same type of hitter as JD Martinez, but I can kind of see what, what you're talking about. And I can see the Red Sox not giving up on him uh, as quickly as everybody else want them to. So, because yeah. they don't want, yeah. they don't want to happen. They don't want what happened with JD Martinez to happen to them. And he's sure. Aspects. Sure. So, you know, we're talking a lot about Bobby D. What do you guys think about the potential bench spot battle that, that could brew between Tapia, Dahlbeck, and Duran? Duran's gone. <laughs> oh, fucking Brad spinning. I've been on the, uh, the, the fuck Jaron Duran bandwagon since that play, and you know what play I'm talking about, which was it's, the most. It, it's so terrible that all you have to say is that play, and everybody knows. That play. Dude, I mean that's the which most. One, uh, which one do you think was worse, him or Arroyo? Oh, him! Fuck it, him. Duran just didn't try. Like inside the, the park, grand slam. Yeah, fucking Come hell, on. man! Like Arroyo, Arroyo got the guy out of the plate too. Like Arroyo is like not used to being out there, and like he, he misjudged it, lost in the lights. Fine, but the the worst part about that Duran play, it's not that he fucking you know like just couldn't see it. Whatever that happens, you know it's, you're terrible. Just defending. let it die. You know this. It's just that fucking. Yeah, he just let it roll. He didn't do anything. It's the just stood there. I've never felt more like a boomer baseball fan ranting at the youth than fucking that play because genuinely it infuriated me. I'm like, this dude's fucking get him off my team. Holy shit! Like the opposite of competitive. Like, see, you I was not come back from that. I wasn't going there with that. I mean, that's a very valid point. I was gonna go there. I was gonna be like, Latavia has got got more experience out in the outfield. Uh, so him him right away for the bench, and then Bobby can play, you know he can play all the infield positions if need be. What can Duran do? He's fast. He run fast. Tapia is fast too. Him and his dad have big biceps. That's what they do. The Durans. Yeah, I um, I I look at that bench battle, and I. I, I don't share the same hatred for Duran. I think that he needs to figure out who he is. That's kind of his problem. They've been talking a lot about David Hamilton and needing to be more of a, a slap, like on the ground slap hitter to utilize his speed. But I, I kind of feel the same way about Duran, who um, seems to rework his swig every two weeks, tries to be a power hitter, tries to go all ways. And really, he just needs to get on base. Like He's got... He's got a skill set that nobody else is going to be able to emulate with that kind of speed. They've got two guys like that in him and Hamilton. But I think Tapia is just a lot more useful right now. He can play all three infield, um, outfield positions, and that's really important with Duran right now because we – not Duran, sorry, with um, Duval because we don't know how he's going to be in center field full-time. And we don't know, you know, with Alex Verdugo, you know, his defense and right was, I guess it was fine, but I feel like you want somebody maybe a little bit better there, especially late in the game. So I think Tapia is probably of, of the guys they've brought in on minor league deals. He's the one that I like the best for a bench role. Um, he's just, he's the most versatile. So I would like to see him make the 26 man. He's having a good spring so far, so. Good chance of it. And I, I agree. And, you know, it is it is kind of funny that uh, we're clowning on Duran a little bit, but Tapia was the other player on the, the opposite side of that play that hit that ball. So for, for the Red Sox to bring him in has to be like a kick to the nuts to Duran. It's like, hey, you're literally in a competition with a guy that made you look that, the like absolute worst. He's having Vietnam flashbacks literally every day in the clubhouse, man. Anytime he sees them. That is unfortunate. Yeah. That, I'm just imagining like the, the Kill Bill thing with like the. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> or whatever it was, whatever Duran sees Tapia. <laughs> I guarantee that's true. Yes, sir. <laughs> that's awesome. Ed. That's a great like analogy. Great yeah. So we've already seen that the pitch clock has made its presence known and uh, impacted a game in a major way. In the the first official spring training game between the Red Sox and the Braves, it ended on a a uh, an automatic strike strike out with bases loaded on a three two count. Um, the batter thought that it was a ball, 
and started walking down the first baseline thinking that he just drew a, a walk with an RBI walk-off, but then uh, he was punched out by home plate umpire. Now, the the rule states that they have to be in the box and alert to the pitcher. That's the 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 phrase that they keep throwing right. out there. And you can look, you can watch with the clock pulled up. He had his head down, uh, not in an a, a, an aggressive batting posture at that time. So the the strike three is warranted. That is legit. But how strict do you think major league umpires are going to be going forward throughout this season? Are they just being ultra strict right now in spring training to try to whip these guys in the shape, so to speak. hundred yeah, percent. I think no, oh, go ahead. Ed. Sorry. Oh, I was going to say, I think you have to do it now when it doesn't actually count so that they're like good and ready when it does. But I do want to say with the pitch clock also that it was great that inning too, because um, another friend of the show, uh, Joey stock uh, could not find the strike zone. Um, and you know, early spring, that happens, but I'm glad that we didn't have to watch him labor an extra 15 minutes uh, just to walk the bases loaded and then walk in a run or two. And, you know, there was some bad defense behind him, too, the aforementioned Emmanuel Maldez play. Um, but you, you know what's also kind of cool with that, though? Robert Kwiatkowski, who I guarantee you none of you had heard of, I had barely heard of him, got to be, make national news. So, you know, yeah. good, for, good for him yeah. on that. And, and Lou Merloni went viral on his first day in the broadcast booth and uh... – Dude, he's been he awesome. Just, he, he just laughed. So he, he just started laughing at the end of that game. That's like, awesome. pretty much the same reaction we all had. Like, ah! It's so, <laughs> like, I get fucked. Let's, uh, let me ask you guys Is the pitch clock going to be a thing in the postseason? I believe so. Right? Yes. As far as, like, are they going to use it in the postseason? Yeah. Cause I, I would think so. Yeah. I haven't heard anything that, that suggests otherwise. Now, I, I, I'm all for the pitch clock and whatnot, but w- how would you feel with the postseason game ending like that? Well, it wouldn't because it would be six to six and it would go to extra innings. Let's just say it was six, seven. The Braves were up. They had the bases loaded, two outs, whatever, right? If he gets on base, it's tied now, right? It wouldn't, it wouldn't have ended. They'd go into extra innings. Right. But imagine it's six, seven, and he gets called called out there. I, I especially especially I, not even just the postseason, like imagine in the World Series. I, I, I see what you're saying. I think that Go they're ahead. going to enforce it differently, though. In the same way, you don't see a lot of games end on box, and you know the box has been around for a very long time. I, I think that they're going to be a little bit looser when. Uh, it's just like how every officiating crew in every sport, when come playoff time, is looser with the rules. It, like in the Super Bowl, dudes are like usually mauling each other, like uh, every play, and like there's barely any calls, you know. Except this last then, one, except the last play of the game. I was that. gonna, I was gonna say the same thing. This last Super Bowl was not a good example of that. But yeah, um, like listen uh, to uh, to all the people who are uh, you know against uh, like what the pitch clock's doing right now, and like you know saying like uh, it's just too hard to adjust, man. You know, I, my my simple response would to quote you know our favorite player, the, the podcast favorite player, Ryan Brazier, uh, when he said, "Get in the fucking box, get in the box." <laughs> Wait, you're bitching. Just get in the fucking box. You don't need to scratch your taint and rub on your balls between every single pitch. Just get in the fucking box. It's not hard, bro. I thought it'd be the pitchers throwing the bitch fit this early into the season already. But no, it's the fucking batters crying about it. Holy that, shit, dude. Get in the that's, box. That's the thing that stands out most to me is, you know, it's a it's a pitch clock. But the the hitters are the ones that are having the hardest time adjusting to it. And I think it's to your point. These guys are used to adjusting their gloves and kicking the dirt off their cleats and scratching their balls and, you know, shooting a text message to the girl in row 45 and in section G. And, you know, they're, 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 they're used to having all this time to kind of collect their thoughts. And now all of a sudden they've got like what seven seconds really to step out and then step back in and be ready to go because they have to be in by eight seconds and all this stuff. But um, I, as far as when it gets comes down to the World Series and, and postseason, Brad, I get what you're saying. And I, I do see how people would be upset if a game ended like this. But after let's let's just ballpark it around 200 
games, you probably have it well figured out by that point. How much time you have in between each 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 pitch and what you need to do. And to Ed's point about you know they're they're being a little more strict now. Think about it like how they used to check pitchers uh, for foreign substances when they would come off the mound. They legit had guys taking their belts off and dropping their pants to, to check for foreign substance. And now it's wasn't a that pass- Scherzer. It was Scherzer. Yeah, I think there was somebody else that did it too, but Scherzer was the first one. And now whenever they check for foreign substances, they just go, oh, yep, good. Unless you're that umpire that like looks at the guy's eyes while he's rubbing. Oh, that guy off. is such a fucking clown. That guy was such a clown. <laughs> that was a creeper. <laughs> that was creeper. That's the thing, though, is like uh, it's being strictly enforced. They'll get used to it. I the uh, I think the numbers from the minor leagues were that uh, over the course of the entire season, uh, mm-hmm. like the violations averaged like 0.5 a game. So pretty much like there's one violation every other game. Like that's like one strike call. So they'll figure it out. I mean, it just takes a bit of time. Uh, baseball players are creatures of habit. I just think the, the whining is and the uh, the diaper loading is hilarious. I'm glad you mentioned that creature of uh, habit thing here because uh, what was uh, we have? I feel like you wanted to talk about this oh, earlier no. also with um, that that uh, Catillo uh, story about um, our buddy Tristan Casas. You know, future ten-time All Star. Hall of Famer Tristan Cassis, he's him. Uh, you know, he he's that guy. Just saying, he's but, he's he's also the current bad boy of the Boston Red Sox. Apparently. He is so so. It, it's it's only appropriate that the bad boy of Red Sox Twitter be able to address this. Apparently, they were hating on my fucking boy Tristan Cassis because he's out here showing off his amazing abs and his tree trunk fucking thighs, sunbathing in his first few games. <laughs> They're jealous, you know. Uh, you, Based on speculation, you know, it could be a few dudes who were uh, bums as pitchers who needed the run support, and they just like, God, this guy's just natural Adonis body. I can never obtain this. Just fucking the resentment is building. Fucking so, you know, they're very upset about it, and uh, I just I hate baseball culture sometimes, man. I really do. You get a guy come in, he's a bit different, and we got to fucking you know shame him and like say like no. You, you're actually, you're wrong. This is literally such uh, Freddie Freeman, what he did to Ronald Acuna, like when he joined and fucking Acuna just being himself and like, you know, we, we don't do that here. Literally the second Acuna became established, he didn't change a single thing about himself. No one could say a thing. So that's what's going to happen with Cassis. He'll, did he'll you be hear? And no one give did a you, fuck. Did you uh, hear about the naps? He was napping. That in was the funny. House. Yeah. <laughs> that one I can kind of get like, okay, you could just take a nap in the nap room. We have a nap room. <laughs> Now they're having him. Funny. Now he's got to do his sun tanning on the coke deck. <laughs> and Al, I think Cora said, "Like, oh, you know, it's closer to the sun, really, so it just makes sense." <laughs> Th- I just had this far. mental image of Cora like having like a diagram that he's explaining, like a big whiteboard that he's like explaining <laughs> this to the casus with, like, "You will be closer to the sun, therefore." <laughs> therefore, that's the thing. Therefore, though, man. If you just... absorb more energy, you hit more home run. But that story, in a nutshell, is, like, why no one in baseball has a fucking personality that's marketable. Because they beat it out of these dudes as soon as they come out of the minors. Like, fucking, oh, you're showing any semblance of fun or whatever? Shut up, Rook. Fucking fall in line. Like, goddamn, guys. Holy shit. We're trying to be marketable here. We're trying to get more people in the game. You're trying to just fucking play them into a box. Yes, I hate it. credit. Cassis does not seem to give a shit, which he is doesn't. like pretty funny him. to watch. Like his whole thing with like, yeah, got a got my red. He got his uh, nails painted red to match his glove. He's the best. Yeah, I think I might do it the whole season, and that you know I'm just gonna drop some tweets about uh, big Swedish fish running the airports. You know, whatever. Just throw that in on the side. But here's my mustache for uh, for the winter uh, winter weekend off session yeah. or winter winter weekend. Yeah, um, the jerk off session. Yeah. Um, you know, just like, uh, yeah, I'm just kidding. Mustache is gone. Fuck it. Um, just Christian Cass is here, man. Speaking of mustaches, Josh Woodkowski, dude. Solid. This one's going to turn his career around. He did look good today. Most of the pictures look good today. 
Yeah, it was really just Jacob Webb and uh, Skylar Arias that kind of kind of hit some trouble. I thought, like you were talking about Rio earlier, he looked good. He struck out the side. It was just one bad pitch to a big league right. hitter, and people forget this. Rio hasn't thrown a pitch. He didn't pitch more than like eleven innings last year, um, and he had myocarditis that like kind of took him out for the entire season. He was pitching on fumes when he was actually out there, so. You know, that he's striking out guys and making them look stupid and making the World Baseball Classic for Columbia. Like, that's pretty it's pretty that's cool awesome. for the guy. Yeah. 100%. Yeah, very good. Very good for him. Um, you know, we, we talked about Tristan Cassis. Uh, what expectations do we have for him, you know, on the bombs. positive side? 40 bombs? That's that's a rookie of the year season. Yep. He's him. Um I, I mean, I, I don't know if I'm at that point with him, but I think like 260, 360 on base percentage, 25 to 30 home runs, very good defense. I love him defensively, especially after Fra- Franchi and uh, Bobby V last year, which who I enjoy both of those men. I do not enjoy watching them at first base. They um, have not been doing it for very long and are not very good at it. Uh, I, you know, joking aside, um, I think twenty-five to thirty is a is a good starting point for uh, Casas. I know he's going to start slow. I think also. Um, I think that he's taken a little bit to adjust at each level he's gotten to. But and this is where his self confidence, which is like my favorite trait about him right now, um, is concerned. He's not going to start losing faith in what got him here, and it usually takes him a couple of months, and then he adjusts. And when he adjusts, he absolutely tears the cover off the ball. Um, so I I think people are going to have to be a little patient with him. Like they, you remember with, when Dustin Pedroia came up, he kind of sucked for a couple of months. And then, you know, when totally Riff should hit like 462 or something for a three-week period. Um, that's what we got to wait for on Cassis, you know, let him figure and, it out. And and who was it that was the guiding, guiding uh, force behind Dustin Pedroia figuring it out in the big leagues? I believe his name was Alex Cora who also happens to be the manager of the Boston Red Sox now. So, you know, maybe some yeah. similarities between the two. Cora likes Cassis, and he likes Yoshi, and I, I, I don't know. Cora trusts his guys, and he believes in them, and I think that I think that they're going to I, – I think those two in particular are very key parts of this team, and we'll see. What are your guys' thoughts on the amount of lefties we have in the lineup – it's a lot of lefties. <laughs> it's a lot, isn't it? Yeah. Um, we got Yoshida, Devers, uh, Verdugo, Casas. Um, if you put uh, Duran in there, then um, Reese. There's six right there. I don't know who else I've I've missed. I'm sure I've missed somebody. Um, yeah, I mean, they have a good outfield backup in Red Snyder who absolutely pounds lefties, so... You have that there at least, um, but you're right that there are there are a lot more lefties than righties uh, than we're accustomed to here, um, and especially if they decide like you know like oh Emmanuel Valdez we want his bat in the lineup well that's another lefty there. Um, yeah, it's it's going to be interesting, especially for putting people into those bench roles because I do kind of feel like you need a righty there. Maybe that's part of why they brought a new Chag. I don't I don't know, but you're right. There's definitely a disproportionate amount right now. What was that face for, Brad? Check the chat. Check the chat, he says. Is this something that we can tell the people that are listening, or is this just for us? It's it's not it's it's something just for us. Oh, okay. All right. No the worries. Uh, yeah, I just figured that out. I was like, there's nothing in the chat. Um so we I want to know what you guys think about another topic that's been plaguing Red Sox Twitter for the past week or so now, and that's the Noah Song situation. Of course, uh, for those that that aren't really sure, uh, Noah Song was – he wasn't discharged, but he was released from his his contract with the the Navy and is going to be allowed to play professional baseball once again. And per the rules – since he was taken in the Rule 5 draft, he has to be on the Phillies' 26-man roster for the entire season. The problem with that is this guy has not thrown a pitch in three years. So 
for them to to give him a spot for the entire season seems very unlikely. And a lot of Red Sox Twitter seems to be saying that this is a huge mistake that Heim let him go in the Rule 5 draft and that, you know, burn the house down and all this stuff. Uh, Brad, go ahead. I, but I definitely want to get Ed's, Ed's point of view on this as well. I, I definitely want to hear Ed's uh, side of this, but I think he's going to agree with me here. There is literally no reason for us to keep him on, on the 40-man roster. It, we had no idea what was going to happen. Nobody could have foreseen him being able to be in the position that he's in right now with the Phillies. Uh, I don't know if it was Dombrowski bullying the government um, or not, but I don't see him staying with the Phillies for the entire season on the 26-man roster. Yeah. Yeah, so I got to tell you, and I'm not going to name any uh, names, but the um, Globe reporter that referred to it as a wholesale embarrassment, um, um, I I really wish they could explain that logic there, because you have a player that, as Brad said, hasn't thrown a pitch in three years. He had thrown in his entire professional career 17 innings in a league short season A that no longer exists. That's how long ago it was. The Red Sox had a guy on their 40-man who actually had a better season than him uh, in uh, that year in Chris Murphy that, you know, we saw him pitch today and he looked good, but the same guys that are getting all upset about that probably don't even know who Murphy is. Um and for the Phillies, it's kind of like, who are you going to, how do you explain to another guy that this kid is making, that we don't know what he can really do right now and hasn't, again, hasn't pitched in three years, is making not just the 40-man roster, but the 26-man roster. Do you want to see someone that you that hasn't done that in three years pitching, that he's in the AL, in the NL East pitching against, you know, like that Mets juggernaut, you want to see him throwing to uh, Pete Alonso and seeing what happens there? I mean, maybe he hits one 700 feet. That might be cool. Um, but yeah, I mean, Song was, certainly the potential was there three years ago, but we don't know what he has now. Why are you going to use a 40-man spot on him? And I know you have people saying, well, you just have to retroactively uh, move him to the military um, exemption list and it's fine. Yeah, then you start his counter and he's, you know, gotten like three or four years of MLB service without even throwing a pitch. Like, it doesn't make a lot of sense to do that. Not to mention, 40-man roster spots don't exactly grow on trees. The Red Sox have had to drop an awful lot of people to hold on to Ryan Brazier and Caleb Hort. So, you know, like, what what do you want to do with a guy that's only thrown 17 professional innings? Well, here's you really the want to use that, that, that collateral on him? You're here's getting the- him back. I'm sorry, the they're, they're getting it back. Here's the deal, Ed. And Brad, you guys just haven't opened up your third eye, okay? You haven't seen through the, the forest or the trees here. You don't understand that Noah Song these past three years has been fucking honing his stuff in the Navy repair yards. And you don't know that, that Dave Dombo himself sent his top scout out there every one of those years waiting for this exact moment in the Rule 5 draft. So he fucking knows what he's getting into. You know, open your third eye, guys. Holy shit. I don't know if it was entirely spite by Dumbo also to take him. Dumbo just likes getting his old guys. He does. You know, he traded for uh, CJ Chatham. He, um, he he used another spot, uh, pick to get uh, Cam Cannon, who was another one of his not-so-good early-round picks. And, and, yeah, he definitely bullied the military into, um, into letting him go. Uh, Brady will tell you that. Brady's been telling me that for years, that it was going to happen as soon as, soon as it, be, it became a possibility. So... The real question is, why does the United States hate Navy hate the Red Sox? That's a good point. <laughs> yeah, they good let them go for the fucking Phillies, but not the Sox. The hell, guys. Yeah, <laughs> I think I think that's the real news story in this. And uh, you know, Hogdale, I don't know how much he was doing there at the shipyards, but as somebody that was in the military and uh, did take part on the the active duty softball competitions that we would have annually, not much talent out there. Just, 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 gonna, just gonna go ahead and let you know. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Um, one of the best things that I ever did in the Marine Corps, though, as far as the softball is concerned, is we we had an annual event and it was called Big Sticks, 
And I love the fact that it was named Big Sticks because everybody would be like, hey, yeah, we're going to Big Sticks. <laughs> <laughs> but we would go and do that. And I, I, I got a hold of uh, my first, it was like my first at bat. And I got a hold of one. I thought I crushed it. I, I mean, it I did. It pop, wasn't it? Oh, no, no, no. Like, it, like I thought it was gone. Like, I hit it and I kind of did like a little bat flip. It started my trot. Center fielder caught it right at the wall. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, man, I've got that warning track power. That's all I got. <laughs> yeah. so I, I get mad catcher energy from you, Brandon. I feel like like that would that would like just if I were to think like what your position would be, you'd be the you'd be the catcher. Like the, the like the larger end of the platoon. Nah. Eh, I never actually played catcher. How Never my forte. When I was a kid, I was always an outfielder because I was fast. And, or you uh, just sucked. Or I sucked. Well, either way. <laughs> One way or the, well, they they usually put me in center. So usually you don't put somebody that sucks in center. It's usually uh, over, you bury them in right field because, you know, the majority yep, right of people are right-handed <laughs> and they pull the ball. So yep, right field is where you just kid, though. Yep. That's usually where I played. Because the balls that got to the gaps, I could get to them and then throw them into this the shortstop. But anyway, um, we we've we've talked about a lot today, but uh, one thing that definitely needs to be addressed, and this is uh, specifically for you, Ed, is Tom Karen recently commented on one of your one of your statuses that the trustometer should be trademarked. And while I do agree that that should be a trademarked thing that, that we do, that's also a missed opportunity to, to pitch TC to buy a trust a media t-shirt that are available in the pesky report store or hat, which I, I purchased. Uh, I, I purchased the hat too. So hopefully that'll be uh, moving on. I'm planning on wearing that as soon as it comes in Uh new design this year. It's uh more stick figures. Um, Brandon, you did a really good job on the graphic design for that hat, by the way. Um, I mean, I make the stuff um, under the influence on uh, MS Paint, but Brandon really <laughs> polishes that turd, um, which is pretty <laughs> cool of him. I got to say, though, I missed the one with the, the dead cardinal on the guy's head. I mean, It's on the Brandon version of it. Um, it so is. Like the it's hat back. should have dead cardinal guy on Let's it, which go. is uh, definitely yep. for the best. He's back. He's back. Yep. <laughs> he is back. Um, I, I, th- I think we should take take advantage of of this podcast platform and the the youtube platform and this year make your your bullpen trust meter announcements live on the podcast and then we can put out the tweets afterwards and all that stuff but uh that way we can you could share share your screen even and you can show in real time who's moving up who's moving down and we can discuss why they're moving up and down yeah, that works for me. I usually do a few per week, so we'll probably have to re- we'll reveal the Sunday one with the podcast. I think I'm with not going to hold back on like the on the on the other ones for it when stuff happens. But I think that that's a good idea to update the Sunday one with the show. I think that's a terrific idea. Yeah, um, um, I, I think it just gives us something more to talk about, and we could like it seems like a lot of people really do enjoy the Trustometer, and uh, they they like to see where you have guys ranked. So. It's yeah, America's um, most beloved and most trusted resource under who's good on the Red Sox pitching wise. Specifically <laughs> the bullpen. Yeah, I can tell Specifically. you. Specifically. I did actually have one guy move up from my original one that I wasn't expecting to see. Because, <clears throat> you know, early on in spring training, you're not expecting to see much from the relievers. But I, I might have underestimated Wyatt Mills a bit. Uh, because yesterday he he pitched and he looked good. He looked very good with that John Schreiber delivery and just being able to place those pitches. So he jumped up. I think I had him at uh, at tenth, and I moved him all the way up to seventh. So he's. I'm going to be surprised if he doesn't crack the opening day roster after seeing him too, just because that look. Like he he just seems like he's a decent pitcher. So I'm happy to see that. Does it seem like Heim Bloom in the front office really like 
guys that throw like a Chris Sale, like a John Shriver, like a Wyatt Mills. Mills. Um, it, it definitely seems like they have their template of what they want their pitchers to look like and throw like. And they're just grabbing up all the guys out there that have that kind of uh, repertoire. Well, think of it this way. If you have seven Chris Sales, one of them uh, gets into a bike accident. One of them gets his pinky broken. One of them gets run over by a tank. Hamdale Karate kicks one of them in a bar brawl. You still have three Chris Sales left. So, like, you're in pretty good shape. What's better than one Chris Sale? Seven of them. Yeah, good point. (laughs) Or in this case, three. (laughs) God. It is a, it's good they're hoarding that. Uh, just the, the last thing, the, the final piece of the Red Sox pitching puzzle is just summing, somehow figuring out how to co-opt the Rays cheating lab. It's all we need to do. It's the- yeah, that's, that's a good point. Like We know that the Rays have a cheating lab. We know from uh, one of the interviews that Ed and I did that the Orioles also have a, a pitching lab. A mini cheating lab. A mini cheating lab. With what uh, money? They can barely even go wait. out to buy players. <laughs> It's in like a it's in like a bunch of cardboard boxes they put together. Do you guys remember the Ed Ed and Eddie episode where they made it like a metropolis out of all those cardboard boxes? It's like that. <laughs> I, I, I'm just wondering, like, do the Red Sox have anything like this, or is it just one of the best kept secrets in all of sports that the Red Sox have a, a pitching lab or a hitting lab or anything that we don't actually know about? to be true um i mean they'd use they use the metrics and like the like the stat lab stuff and all of that it's not like it's i, I think that every team with access to it is using it it's well, just i don't know if there's um, met, met, metrics and facility setup metrics and stat lab is one thing but the 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 guy from the orioles that we had on ed aj Politi, uh, yeah Politi, that's right he told us there was a physical pitching lab that they had in baltimore do we have anybody in Florida that can do some exploration of the Fort Myers facility? Because maybe in like an underground bunker or something. I want to know this. Just, just a little funny because we have a certain person here that lives in Florida. Um, <laughs> yeah, but I'm, might be I'm, a, I'm, I'm like seven hours wait. from Fort Myers. <laughs> a big state. Yeah, I'm like seven hours from Fort Myers. All I'm saying that. is that the Orioles pitching lab has been like some fucking desolate part of Baltimore, like in a shanty town, like fucking. It, you can't tell if uh, like the ball when they're pitching if the ball's hitting a glove or if that's just the fortieth gunshot they've heard that hour. I'm just saying. Wow, wow. strong words from uh, Red Sox Twitter's baddest boy. Hogdale watched The Wire before this episode, and he was just like, "Yep, nothing but gang violence." I need to watch The Wire. The, bro. the Orioles pitching lab is in Thurmont. Not sure where Thurmont is, but. <laughs> That's not a real place. You actually just good, good insight. Yeah, <laughs> good good insight. No, nope, it's definitely a place. Yeah, it's definitely. A place. God damn it! We'll have to Thurmont, take your word Maryland. for it. Thurmont. Dude, none of people shit on the none of people shit on the Orioles, bro. After the off season they had, holy shit, man! Fucking, they are a cloud organization, bro. <laughs> Yeah, I, it's funny because you have a lot of the people that are giving the Red Sox an F off season are also giving the Orioles like a pre- pretty high reviews, and it's just bro, their banner signing was Adam Frazier. Like, if that's the shining beacon of hope of your off season hey. is Adam Frazier, hey, yikes. hey, 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 they also signed Kyle Gibson. Oh shit, Gibby! Woo! And um, uh, Michael Givens returning to the Orioles, you know, Huge. um. <laughs> They do have those like young, all those young guys coming up. I just think that, um, I think that they're not there yet. I think that they're gonna actually, I don't know. Like, I don't, I like the Orioles, I like their fans a lot, so I don't want to shit all over them. But I, I think that it's, they're still a couple years away from that super team we've been hearing about. Yeah, so, uh, I'm not sure if we got the right Casas. What do you mean? His his what little brother. His, brother. <laughs> his little brother just went yard again. Oh shit! He's he's swinging a big stick. He's in college, right? Like he's not on a team. Yeah, he's yeah. he's on the Gamecocks. Hi, hi, Yeah, I I would well. love to see Casas and Casas. 
Imagine, imagine a lineup where they bat like three, four. They, well, what would you do? Dabbers, Casas, Casas? <laughs> That's lefty, oh, yeah, lefty, you, lefty. I got a question for you guys, actually. What did you think about, um, they're saying that Turner's going to be batting behind Rafi no matter where in the lineup Rafi's love batting. Love it. I think that I, that makes a lot of sense. I love his response to it, Justin Turner's response, where he said, it looks like I'm going to be hitting with runners on a lot. <laughs> yes. mm, I don't know. I see May or may not be true. If if Devers is raking homers, then he may be coming up with bases empty a lot. But I get speaking, what he's saying. Spe- speaking of uh, Turner, um, I just read that, what's his name, Taj, the first pitcher for the Rays? Taj Bradley. Yeah, Taj Bradley. So he got that last out in the first inning against Justin Turner. Uh, he got the ball back and Justin Turner signed it for him. That's, That's pretty cool. cool. Dude, I'm so excited for this season, though. Just like, uh, you know, talking about Rafi, that made me think about how uh, the shift being limited is going to – he's going to feast this season. Feast. Feast. I actually have a few things that I wanted to bring up uh, before we actually end the episode. Um, one of them being, what are our thoughts on Justin Turner uh, picking the number two uh, for his jersey number? I don't care. I'm indifferent. He he wore number two when he broke into the league. It is what it is. It's a number. It's not retired. Agreed. I don't care about numbers, so whatever. Um, like wear whatever you want, man. I, I think I think we're all on the same page here. Then. Well, here's the thing. Like, yeah, it's like one gives a fuck. Two, uh, I, I don't know, man. Xander, Xander last year left a really bad taste in my mouth, man. He was a real fucking piss baby on the way out. Like just you know, uh, being fucking shitty, talking about management, shit, complaining, no accountability. He only really started hitting when the game stopped mattering. So like fucking you know, bye, you know, and, you know, enjoy rotting on the Padres where you're probably going to be shit for more than half that contract. Appreciate you. Don't let door oh, your ass on the way. Tom Dale, I don't want you to hurt me for saying this, so please don't reach through the dimension <laughs> to slap me. <laughs> I, I I'm not gonna of uh, uh, the people that. Xander, whatever. I was more annoyed with like the Evaldi comment about like being the kind of guy that you build. Um, you know, you build championship teams around him. Like, and I don't, I don't dislike any of these guys. I don't know what's going on in the clubhouse, but there is no way that you can look at that statement and think, "Oh yeah, you're right. That's the move that breaks the camel's back." Dropping Kevin Ploiecki with two weeks left in the season. That was the move. Literally. That did it. Wow, dude was like a career 60 OPS plus and couldn't throw out me on the fucking base path. Yeah, this is to the guy. To be fair, that's because you would, you, you would uh, body slam the second baseman or shortstop, right? <laughs> like, dude, it's just fucking – it genuinely was embarrassing last year, like the lack of accountability in the clubhouse. Like the leadership core was just terrible. And from what guys have said going into this season, you know, PK especially, what he says, like, hey, uh, you know, fucking the leadership last year – not great. The clubhouse vibe, not great. So how do you feel about the guys? And I'm first of all, I, I do agree with you with your sentiment on this hockey, but I've heard from the other side of this perspective that, you know, veteran the vet they pissed off the veterans, they spat in their face, and it was just it was disrespectful from the front office not to give them a real outfielder and not to help them at the a, a real right fielder and not to help them more at the deadline. What would you say to those folks? You all sound like male Karens. You're making millions of dollars. Shut the fuck up and do your job. <laughs> Holy shit, man. It's just it's just simply not that hard. Plus, the additions that High made during the deadline, they seemed minor at the time. All of them worked. All of them did help the team. <laughs> it's just so, it was so frustrating last year dealing with that man. And I'm happy going into this year, even though, you know, People are saying that uh, you know Kike can't be real leader. Count the All Star appearances, bro. It disheartened me that the per- the reporter who asked that was fucking Joe Castiglione's son. Uh, dookie, 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 Dookie. Why? I uh, do love that the uh, the update the resume thing has become kind of a that's funny <laughs> that's a, a awesome. thing for this team. If Kike makes the All Star team, do you think he's going to like post a picture of his resume with that being like 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 updating my resume? Amazing Man, like, like I'm cheering for things like him making the All Star, him winning Gold Glove, Platinum. him winning Silver Slugger, 
as the shortstop, like any of those things. So well, just hey, so that he can be like resume updated. How how about this? If he wins a gold glove at shortstop, Xander never did that. Xander never did That's that. True, we never did that. Uh, the uh, the other thing that I wanted to bring up, and I was hoping that it would be brought up uh, a little earlier in the episode, is uh, Stan Grossfield uh, of the Boston Globe mentioning that Heim Bloom has received. Uh, oh God! Rare death threats and anti-Semitic slurs. Um, thoughts? And I'll start with you because you know, from for a Jewish guy, I'm sure this kind of hits home. Yeah, no, it's it's scary and it's unfortunate and it's completely a hundred percent unsurprising. Like I, you know, if if you're Jewish in America right now in, in 2023 and you have a high profile position, you're going to get these. I, you know, I've heard shit said to me and I'm just like some asshole that talks on Twitter about the Red Sox, like, and not even like MLB Red Sox that much. I mostly talk about the minors and, you know, people, when they get pissed off, uh, it's not great. Um, so no, it's not surprising at all. Um, I don't think that it's necessarily something to single out Red Sox fans for just because there are shitty, racist, anti-Semitic, et cetera, people everywhere. Um, but, you know, like when you see the coverage of the team the way it is and um, with specifically Bloom being the, the target of so much, even though it's a full fucking organization and your owner is setting a payroll, has like setting a budget limit by his own admission – I don't know why you're focusing so much on the guy that is just making is is making the best with those directions. Um, also, it's like it's a fucking baseball team. Why like right. why are you threatening to kill somebody over like your team being disappointing last year? Like, get outside, get laid, do do, do literally anything better with your time. Like, what the fuck is wrong with you? I mean, we were talking about threats here. Uh, let's go back to 2021 when Hogdale was threatening Alex Cora um, for not putting Christian Arroyo lead off. That was a that was a section in our lives, and I was right at the time. Yeah. Also, Hogdale, like, listen, we've been trying to arrest Hogdale for years, but he's too powerful for the police to take him down. That's really I got it, man. That's really the problem there. Like, they put him in handcuffs, and he's just like, just like rips right through them. Literally. I gotta say though, man, like, yeah, the death threats thing. It's uh it's so not surprising at all. It's just the the, the current state of the internet and like the modern day that we're in. If you were of any influence whatsoever and you're even somewhat controversial, there's gonna be a segment of the population who's gonna threaten to kill you, even though they are uh, bozos who are built like me with Dorito dusts on their fingers and they couldn't fucking uh fight a cat. So you know, it's unsurprising. It's so it's fucking disappointing, it's disheartening. No one should have to go through that. And again, it's fucking, it's baseball. Like we're doing this for fun. Like we're watching this because it makes uh, our lives better. And like, you're going out and th threatening people's lives on the internet. Like, holy shit. Like get all, any sort of a life. Ugh. Yeah. Weak sauce. <laughs> if you put that I, sauce I, in a county fair, it would not win anything. That's how it is. I, I, I concur with, with, uh, what is said by Ed and Hogdale. It's it's unfortunate, it's uh unnecessary, but it's also unsurprising. And in in this this day and age, that's how you know you've made it is if you're getting death threats online. Honestly, it's just a it's a joke. Really I, I, a joke. Uh, and the last thing, um I'm happy that Nesson decided to uh go go along with Lou Maloney. Uh, and Ugh. dropped Tony Maserati, whatever. Pack watch, pack watch, rip bozo, suck my dick, Tony Maz, fucking um, pack watch. I so had, good. I had, amazing. had no problem with Tony Maz last year. Um, Lewis a gazillion times better. He's the best. But everything that's happened with Maz in the past week, Nesson just did this. I just I love the fucking. It reminds me of the meme where it's like the dude in his uh, in his suit and it's just like fucking like you know me watching someone's downfall you know, in like in parentheses because I prayed for it. He's just all happy. <laughs> like, <okay. laughs> oh god, 
Fuck off, Tony Maz. Thank God you're not in the booth anymore. Yeah, lose the best. Lose the man. Lou Middlebrooks and Uke, and honestly, I'm excited to see Uke and Middlebrooks step up their game because Lou just seamlessly uh, just went into that, immediately started dropping Sox prospects references, um, clearly prepared a ton for it. You can see how happy he is not to have to talk about basketball and hockey now. Um, Oh, he has mentioned that quite a few times. I don't know if it was on... uh... Uh, uh, Nesson or what, but I, I knew that I saw something where he had mentioned, like, I don't have to get up and take notes on, on, on the Celtics or the Bruins or the Patriots. I can just baseball. That's my number one. I, I know that was a, a major point of emphasis on the uh, Carabas name redacted podcast. And I, I, I've loved Lou Maroney in the, uh, in the booth so far. And I think he is, he solidified himself as the the natural successor of Jerry Remy in yeah. that role. Yeah, he really and this is no offense to Middlebrooks or Yuke, who are both also excellent, but mm-hmm. you know, Lou's been at it a lot longer than them. We yeah. haven't had Middlebrooks in the booth yet, have we? We had him last year and he was pretty last solid. Last year, yeah. Oh, okay. Lou and he, he did like instant he did a couple games last year. I right. thought he only did the pre and the post. No, he did some at the uh the last month they had him do like a week's worth of them, but he actually was like a pretty he he was pretty seamless as well. Not not to the same extent as Lou, just because again, Lou's been at this for how long now? Just like on right, the yeah. radio. I mean he he's been doing EEI, he's also been doing NBC Sports Boston uh as well. So Lou's the man. Yeah, no, he's he's fantastic. He really, he really is. He he has a lot of respect for both the craft itself and the game itself, and it sh- it really shows in his like preparation. He's so good. No, you guys got anything else you want to add? Awesome. Well, thank you guys for watching and listening, and thank you you guys for being part of this episode. Uh, we're looking forward to another great season of Red Sox baseball and uh, tremendous things to come from pesky report this season as well uh, definitely excited about what's on the horizon for all of us and uh we hope that this will just kickstart the season and it'll be a, a great 2023 see you guys later go soccer